Hello and welcome to the Green Shoots podcast, a conversation about intellectual property focused on what matters most to innovators right now. We discuss managing, monetizing and protecting IP in the context of what's happening now in industry, IP law and beyond. I'm your host, Charlie Leslie, and I'm part of the IP team here at Appleyard Lees. Joining us for this episode of the podcast are Jennifer Delaney and David Walsh. Jennifer and David are both partners at Appleyard Lees. Jennifer works for a wide variety of clients in the chemical fields across many different industries. The inventions she protects often arise from attempts by the chemical industry to improve the environmental profile of their products and processes. David has been in the patent profession for 28 years. Much of that time has been spent drafting, prosecuting and advising in relation to patents for chemical innovations. His experience in green technology has included non-toxic marine coatings, carbon capture technology and non-fossil fuel based monomer routes. Jennifer and David, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi, Charlie. So Jennifer and David, is patenting in the green chemistry space different from patenting what might be considered more conventional chemistry innovation? I don't really think so. You know, the requirements of patentability are always the same. The inventions may be different. But I think David and I were discussing this earlier, that probably most of the inventions in the chemical sphere actually have a green angle. The main driver in chemistry Uh, across the sectors really is reduction in energy consumption, emissions. I mean, it's been well documented in the press that chemical industries use enormous amounts of energy. And so, you know, for those reasons, because of regulations to do with environmental factors, could be pollution or reduction of emissions and becoming more energy efficient. And of course, improved safety profile and just economic factors for reducing energy consumption. Those are the main drivers, really, in chemical innovation. And the industrial chemistry sector, which is where we do quite a lot of work, or most of our work, everybody's trying to reduce emissions. And quite a lot of inventions are not new molecules or even new processes, but perhaps development of existing processes to improve their efficiencies or swapping out one ingredient for one that's a bit less toxic. So quite a lot of innovation is around that. Is that your experience, David? Yeah, I, th- I think sometimes it's it's a really good question to ask. And I, I think the a, a patent attorney views it as ultimately as slightly different than a technical person. Uh, but if I sort of briefly just take off my patent attorney hat, I think in the green chemistry space, you can certainly seem to protect inventions that don't necessarily have an improvement over the existing technology. And putting my patent hat back on, that's because it has some advantage in terms of sustainability or biodegradability, or it's, uh, as Jennifer alluded to, it's non-toxic. You haven't necessarily changed an awful an awful lot or made or made something better. That's from a scientific point of view, but actually you have because the patent office would accept that this is a more sustainable technology, a more biodegradable technology, or non toxic. It's a non toxic technology, or you know, in some way improves the chemical life cycle so that the chemicals aren't aren't left in the environment. So. I think it's just a difference between a technical understanding and a legal understanding. As Jennifer said at the outset, uh, the patent law hasn't changed, but maybe what you hang your hat on in terms of the innovation 
is more uniquely related to green technology. So as European patent attorneys, when we talk about something being inventive, we kind of have to have a technical effect and that effect can be like an advantage or benefit that can be a reduction in energy or reduced toxicity so those can be the very things that make something patentable rather than it being a novel chemical or something like that. I've worked quite a long time on tributyl tin replacement in in the marine environment that was ultimately banned by the International Marine Organization. So there was a rush at that time, driven by legislation mainly, to for companies to replace their existing coatings technology. So tributyl tin was a, a biocide that stops um, barnacles and the like sticking to ships' hulls. Um, you can lose 5 or 6% fuel just by having too many barnacles on the ship as they travel through the uh, oceans so it's always been a problem that the uh, coatings in this is tried to try to solve but what they were discovering was biocides were having quite long-lasting effects in the marine environment um, so they needed to be replaced and the replacement technology is replacing tin with metals like copper for instance but then copper has its own problems and there was a lot of exciting technology around using siloesters instead and different metals to copper so there was a rush, I think, driven by legislation to innovate in that area. And that's certainly one of the drivers. And today is still a driver, I think, for green technology uh, changes in legislation. But I think there are other drivers too, wouldn't you say, Jen? No, no, just picking up on that example, sorry, when you were talking about the tributyl tin and the coating. But it's kind of there's like two green aspects for that, isn't there? Because you've got that the purpose of it being there was to improve the fuel consumption um, because of the reduced drag. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It slows the... That's exactly right, yeah. So if you get a replacement, it's got to be at least as good as the original because of the reduction in drag. It's got to do at least that. But if it was better, you're getting the saving from that as well as the reduced toxicity. Hmm. So there's kind of two separate aspects there that are green, as it were. What's interesting, I think, what that reminds me of, I should say, is the patent activity that follows that. So once you find a replacement for a chemical that's causing the harm, then there are often quite a number of innovations that follow. And some of them might have been connected with tributyl tin, so tin in combination with all these other components. Often you can argue that the fact that the replacement works just as well in, in those combinations is itself patentable. That's often a quite a rich field of patenting where you've replaced one component, ostensibly just as a direct replacement and, and, and often driven by legislation. But then you find that it works in all these other combinations that the replaced uh, chemical worked in, and, and they can lead to lots of follow-up patents yeah. in that area. So there's a couple of things there, isn't there? So it doesn't have to be as good as the original even in terms of the original effect. It just has to be nearly as good to be patentable. And then the original tin component of the coating would have been used in combination with other components. And actually, you may need to reformulate to be able to introduce a different component with different solubilities or other profiles. So then there could be new inventions relating to the formulation. And even if there is no need to reformulate, that could be inventive because it's surprising you don't need to because actually in chemical compositions, you can't just replace one component with another. Absolutely. I think perhaps sometimes it's industry recognizes that changes that, that are made to all these compositions because of the new component will be patentable. They often understand that, but yeah, as you say, sometimes I don't think 
it's necessarily understood that no changes at all can be patentable because they're equally surprising because you have a different chemical component and it, there's no guarantee it's going to work in exactly the same same way. I think some sectors perhaps aren't as alive to the fact that you could take one known chemical and replace it with another known chemical for a different purpose, and that's an invention. Yeah, I and mean, I think that that point applies generally, doesn't it? Often we have clients come to us who are surprised at what what's been patented by their competitors and can be somewhat alarmed by it. You know, our job is obviously to inform and try and get protection then for our clients and maybe try and um, innovate around the patented technology, but also then protect uh, our clients' inventions. Sometimes things do come up. You'll see a flurry of patents all filed within a few months of each other, tackling the same problem. And you think that problem's been identified by all key players in the market at the same time. And sometimes they come up with the same solutions. And at that point, it really is the first to file wins. Have you found that green innovation has been affected by COVID in any way? Or if not, have you found that it may be affected going forward in the future? I think the short answer is no. I see it more that they are working in, in parallel. I think the importance of sustainability in the chemical industry, biodegradability, the effect of toxic chemicals in, in the environment affecting biodiversity. I think those are still massive topics. And, and I, I'm not sure anyone would say that they are now less important because of COVID. Yes, possibly they're out of, out of the news for a little while, as is as are sorry, lots of topics but I'm not seeing any reason. I think the exact opposite is true. Irrespective of COVID, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more innovation in the green chemistry space going forward. If anything, we'll we'll see more and more. Yeah, I had a good news story from one of my clients who really is in the green space. So we've kind of talked a bit about how lots of innovation in the industrial chemistry sector is driven by kind of green factors, as it were, they're called CCM technologies. So what they do is is truly green. They take waste materials and make them into useful fertilizers. So this is kind of a revolutionary approach, really, for fertilizers, because fertilizers are one of the most carbon intensive processes that traditional t- fertilizers use really old technology, very bad for the environment. And what they're doing is taking instead waste from cattle, pig farms, um, and then they're using carbon dioxide from the combustion of fossil fuels, and they're using those to combine to make a fertilizer. We do get inventions in the green field, but actually being able to commercialize these. So they've been very successful at getting a green technology that they're actually able to exploit commercially. That's interesting because I think um, the Prime Minister, uh, Boris Johnson, was talking this week about some initiatives on carbon capture, wasn't it, and CO2 putting CO2 into aquifers and from a national point of view I suppose those are those kind of projects that the government have to uh, headline really. One of my clients Econic who uh, incorporates CO2 into polyols which are obviously a well-known chemical polymer that's used used in industry mainly to make polyurethanes but also make make surfactants. It's widely used throughout the world Uh, it's very common chemical but actually it's such a fantastic piece of technology because they've got catalyst technology which captures the co2 um, and incorporates it into this solid form into this polymer because 
this is all you know this technology is all about making the co2 gas which is harmful to the environment obviously clearly one of the key drivers of global warming if you can bring it into a solid form then it's massively less less harmful what we're seeing is is so many different ways in which the chemical industry is innovating to meet its its obligations really in terms of sustainability and biodegradability lower toxicity yeah i think in the past certainly in in the latter category in terms of toxicity you know we have lots of well-known issues that have been caused by the chemical industry or different parts of the chemical industry but i think the modern chemical industry has very much moved on is certainly many of the big operators are operating to improve things in that respect and there are many many different ways in which they can do they can do that and and yeah, I mean, we, we're, we're answering that, that question asked some time ago, that, but, you know, it's certainly there's a lot going on in, in the green technology space in that respect. I think um, sometimes changes introduced to have environmental or reduced toxicity benefits, for example, or reduced emissions can sometimes lead to new problems that didn't exist in the past. And when we talk as patent attorneys, quite often um, in terms of whether something's inventive, whether you can get an invention for it, we talk about solving a problem. And I think sometimes because of a result of efforts to reduce emissions or lower levels of toxic components, a product changes or machine changes. So new issues arise. So for example, in say we look at transport's obviously a massive cause of pollution and global warming. Over years, people have worked very hard on engine technology um, in order to make engines cleaner, greener, more efficient. But you can't just put the old fuel in those engines or the old lubricants or you need a new catalytic converter. And then behind all of that, you've got new chemicals going into those fuels. So you remove sulfur from fuel to present acid rain then your fuel doesn't lubricate the engine in the same way. You change the design of the engine to make it more efficient, but actually the old fuel can cause problems with deposits because of the different temperatures. So there's kind of lots of other issues, or you incorporate a proportion of biofuel like bioethanol or fatty acid esters, things like that. You put those into fuel, that's different to the petrochemical component. And then the way that combusted changes so those factors mean that new inventions are necessary because new problems arise that didn't exist with the old technology we spend a lot of time dealing with inventions that address these problems that didn't exist perhaps with more traditional older technologies sometimes the change in, in terms of the technology is actually quite simplistic and doesn't necessarily lead you down that route for instance one of the big alternatives that's available at the moment in the chemical industry is, is something like bioethanol. Now, bioethanol is really ethanol that's been sourced in a sustainable way, effectively, but it's no different from it in a chemical perspective than, than ethanol of any description. And clearly it will work just as ethanol works in many respects. So for instance, Crowder have, have used bioethanol in their ethoxylates in the, in, for surfactants. Now, you wouldn't expect there to be anything innovative in what I've just described. On the other side, the sort of thing Jen's talking about is where you completely change components uh, and that then can lead to much more complexity and further innovation. I mean, at the other end of the extreme, you've got a company like Lucite, who are the world's major MMA monomer producers, and they currently make those from a fossil fuel derived 
processes, but they're working towards um, a fermentation process now that, that uses engineered bacterial strains to produce these acrylate monomers. And that's a, a whole, a massive innovation piece. You know, they're, 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 what, what they'll have to do in that area is, is quite interesting, novel technology. So you can have a small change that leads to much bigger changes. You can, you can have a big project that's clearly going to result in lots of innovations. But you can also just have a sustainable chemical that replaces one that's been available from fossil fuels. But even in that simple example, that last example, um, I immediately started to think about some of the, for instance, the impurity profiles that you might get with bioethanol, which would be different than potentially different than, than ethanol. And that in itself then can lead to uh, further innovations. Yeah, I think even when, say, for example, the new EU legislation says you have to less than 100 ppm of a particular component, reducing it can cause challenges and you can pattern them, even if it's a perhaps obvious thing to do because it's a mandatory thing to do. If you've got a technical challenge and you have to try quite hard to address it and use a new method, quite often that's patentable. As soon as it's not a straight like-for-like component A for component B with no real difference, I kind of think it's patentable. And I don't know about you, David, but I spend more time arguing about either a new use of a known material or new ratios that gave a surprising improvement in yield or something like that than perhaps a brand new molecule. I totally agree, Jen. I always remember listening to a radio program from, it was sort of life scientific or something like that. And one of the professors said, there isn't really anything new in chemistry apart from catalysis and particularly heterogeneous catalysis. And I can see where he's coming from in that sense. And certainly um, many of our clients uh, are operating in, in the catalyst space, and that's an area of chemistry that's still being explored to, to a great extent. But what, what I think he overlooked, and it's something that certainly industry and patent attorneys don't overlook, is when you're combining chemicals in a composition, uh, there is no limit to the number of compositions you, you can have. and There can be any number of compositions. And if you're perhaps driven by legislation or a desire to improve the chemical life cycle, if you're driven by that to change some compositions, those compositions will have, If you even if you only change one component of the composition, those compositions will have different properties. And some of those properties may be advantageous. And that will be sufficient to file a patent application. Or as Jen says, maybe you can't get rid of the component, but maybe you can change the ratios of different components or or something along those lines. There's almost, you know, they're myriad, I think, into the different types of compositions you can have. So chemistry's got, uh, you know, a long way to go in that in that respect, I think. I think it's um, not just so what you were saying, it might have an improved property, but sometimes either not having a detrimental effect, because you might have, you know, say, for example, in personal care formulation, people are very keen on a particular look or feel of a shower gel hair composition it's got to be homogeneous and you have a very carefully balanced mixture of ingredients and swapping one for another or reducing a component might mean that you no longer have a stable emulsion and it all breaks down and nobody wants a horrible mess when they open this new face cream or whatever so those sort of 
inventions may be, well, you can replace this one for a, a more environmentally friendly ingredient, but actually it still remains an emulsion. So that can be an invention, just not having a detrimental effect. And then other things that might be kind of patentable in, in that sort of field is people might have very popular products that have been formulated in a particular way for years. They've got a plant built around to mix these components together. And then one of the ingredients is found to be more damaging to marine life than was previously understood. So it needs replacing. But you've got to be able to put that component in at the same time as two others. Otherwise, you've got to redesign your plant. So there's all sorts of weird things that can end up being patented and because there's a big complexity to to the processes involved in, in chemical formulations. Part of the innovation is to is to come up with a solution that doesn't involve um, shutting down lots of chemical plants, but actually just makes the whole thing far more sustainable and far more beneficial for the environment. So, yeah, that's what, certainly one of the drivers, not just the legislation, but you know the investment that's already taken place and the infrastructure that's already in place. I was talking before about how you know environmental chemistry has been around a long time. I, I think that is true, but I think it's different now than, than it has been historically. I think there's a lot more buy-in from the chemical industry the other thing to think about is you know, the people that run these companies and, and work in these companies, uh, you know, they themselves want to prevent global warming, improve biodiversity, reduce pollution, improve human health. You know, everyone buys into that, you know, uh, not, not everyone, but most people buy into that idea. And, you know, one of the drivers for me is just that, you know, there's, there's a, there's a feel good factor. Um, and there's clearly also, commercial necessity to retain you know brand status and goodwill amongst companies that buy their products uh, individuals that buy their products so it's not just legislation that drives this change i think the general political um uh, environment is, is is driving this change as well really that's fantastic jennifer and david thank you so much for joining us on the podcast thank you for having us thanks charlie thanks for listening to the green shoots podcast by apple yard lees If you have a question or issue you'd like our IP specialists to discuss on the podcast, then tweet us at AppleYardLees or email us at ip at appleyardlees.com.